Ready? Three, two, one. Hello, welcome to episode 11 of Artist Impressions. This week, I'm joined by Definitely Fine Theatre Company, who are writer and director Stella Green, producer Emily Hamilton, and designer Freddie Cotton. Last Friday, their digital production, You Will See Everything, premiered at the National Student Drama Festival. Congratulations, welcome to the podcast. How are you all? We're well, thank you for having us. Thank you. Good. Stella, let's start with you. You wrote and directed the piece. For listeners, could you just outline, I suppose plot might not be quite the right word for this piece, but sort of the atmosphere and the themes of the piece and sort of slightly where they came from, and then we can talk about how you made it afterwards. Yeah, of course. I mean, I think I'm going to fumble my way through a blurb because it's. I think I found it a difficult thing to encapsulate. It's sort of a, a 20-minute monologue um at its simplest I'd say um that is predominantly about grief and about losing a parent a mother as a young child and then also um adulthood and romance um and the way those two things uh interact as worlds it's one speaker obviously because it's a monologue um and she is kind of speaking to us from this kind of unknown uh dwelling outside of of time and place and it's a little bit sort of um mystical um and s- somewhat rooted in reality and somewhat not and can i ask you about the style of the piece because your your last project ezra um maybe could be be described as having a slightly more sort of traditional plot and sort of traditional structure and this latest piece is much more sort of poetic and lyrical and i'm wondering was that sort of just a natural progression of your writing or um more of a sort of conscious decision for this specific project um, and how, how did that sort of develop in relation to the subject matter? Yeah, so I think actually to just, to be frank with Ezra, I think, so it, was, it, was, it wasn't fully naturalism, um, but it was yeah. pretty naturalistic. Or like that was kind of the roots of it. And to be honest, uh, I think it was that because that's, it was the first play I'd written. That's what I thought plays sounded yeah. like. Um, and I thought that um, they were meant to look like that. And I think that, in the beginnings of writing this or like when I started the writing that became this project a while ago um it was really lyrical and I knew that that was how stuff was coming out but I couldn't understand really if that was going to be like applicable to stage I felt like it was really dense um I was kind of writing these big um yeah just really really kind of like lyrical passages that I hadn't really made sense of and that it didn't make sense to me going on stage because I couldn't see it at all um and then I think I, I think I talked to some people about that and then they gave me stuff to read. I was quite shit at reading it. I didn't read the things I was supposed to read and people being like, oh, this person's amazing with form, you should read this. I read um, some Sarah Kane and um, I would be lying if I said that I studied it or that I um, knew it backwards or that I took massive inspiration from it. But I think just it's when you read something that uh, does play with form that you I think just gives you permission um in a way so I think I read that and I realized there was permission to be weird and to be strange in form um and I think as well I I can't remember who but someone told me to write it and then worry about it and so I did that and then um then had all the conversations about how that was even going to work or translate and stuff so I think I prefer writing like that to be honest um I think it's more natural to me than than dialogue but 
yeah, it wasn't very conscious or very clever. It was sort of laziness because I, I think I'm better at writing like that and I find it less hard, to be honest. Which is good because you need to write in the way that's most natural to you. Following on from that, let's bring Freddie in. Um, I went to your Zoom Q&A last week and you talked really beautifully about how the, um, the design process and the writing process sort of informed each other. I was wondering if you could talk a little bit more about that, both the design process and how it informed the writing process. I mean, I can't really talk about how it informed the writing process, but in terms of design, like um, being informed by the writing, I think that's very much where it started because I don't know how to design things. Um, I don't know, yeah, I don't know how to do anything like that. Um, And so it really started with just, I mean, I read it and... I mean, I think I'm I'm so, I'm so passionate about this because I think what Fred did was sort of magical, um, mm. and I feel really strongly that it it was a really special thing that you did out of kind of instinct. I mean, like Fred, as sorry, shift, I completely derailed you. <laughs> I just wanted to say that she did. Well, I gave Fred the script, and then um, as for the Q and A, Fred just pulled out some like really really difficult and yeah. massive and challenging questions that related to how it looked with regards to what colour lines were. And there's this kind of, um, I think at the heart of the piece is this two-world thing. And Fred asks asked him, like, really magic questions about, like, how those two worlds interacted, what that looked like, what kind of, like, visual language we'd give to that. And that was that mm. first process. And then I think you took that and then developed ideas. Yeah, so it started with just like feelings really and yeah and I was really interested in the relationship between the two worlds and but it was kind of like I mean it wasn't very thought out it was all kind of done on in like just based on instinct um but I think it was easy because well like it wasn't easy but it was easier at least for me to work like that because it was like I mean, Stella and I both have dead mums, and so I was reading a lot of what I already know. Yeah. And so it was just really, the questions were like, well, how do you represent that aesthetically? But I don't think we ever really even had questions like that. It really they was just done on feeling. They were never that formal. Yeah, and I think that's what sort of, I don't know, I'm interested what would have happened in a process where we'd had those conversations, say, with other people that were more formal, because mm. I think part of what happened... I mean, it sounds so wanky, but it was so organic, the way mm-hmm. stuff came together. And I think part of it was that we had some shortcuts with regards to that conversation because mm. it was related to conversations we've been having for four years. Yeah, and, like, we, we were talking even the other day about how um, it's, like, we feel like, because we've all had some experience with grief, we have these, like, certain shortcuts yeah. in mm-hmm. terms of language, in terms of, like, signposting meaning. And so it was kind of working based off that yeah. shortcut language. Yeah. Mm. And then I think none of us planned for it to happen, but then the, desi- the, the design world did massively influence the writing for me. I mean, mm. there was a really sig- significant point in my mind where I was trying to do redrafts and um, Fred came... Um, it was kind of the first articulation of the idea of this cave um, and of this dwelling. We talked about it and we talked about it being outside of time and we talked about, like, someone... Um, who had built this um, and who had things there that were older than her and who was alone and it like gave a sense of space that I hadn't been able to give it on my own at all and then redrafts happened because something about that just unlocked loads for me and was just massively massively helpful and again I think it's like they were so connected to me I can't really imagine what the writing the writing would have been different without it and without Fred 
um, and that whole design world for me. Um, and and so the building process was that. Did you have? I suppose you you had an idea in your mind of what it was going to be like, and but did you just sort of have your materials? And um, I suppose for listeners, you, you built it in one of your bedrooms or your living room or something. So you, how how long did it take to make, and did it sort of evolve as you were creating it? I mean, it was chaos. <laughs> yeah. Organized chaos. Yeah. Um, it was. I mean, because of like time pressures and stuff, like we were dying and like staining and aging, like. 50 metres of fabric the day before we were going to put it up. So we had, like, all the radiators yeah. on. It was, like, chaos. Yeah, and the then... bath is full of coffee and sheets. There was... She- any way you <laughs> yeah. could hang a sheet was a sheet. Yeah, the whole flat stunk of coffee mm. and Earl Grey. Yeah. Um... We just transformed the space into, like, a bit of, like, a factory. I think Fred was, like, on visuals, like, in her room. And what do we call you? You were the broad. Oh, no, so, was... yeah, I was, yeah. Fred was the vision. Had all... Had the vision. <laughs> I, and then, like, when... Because Fred was also doing costume stuff at the same time, so oftentimes, as well as set stuff, Fred was on costume. And that meant that we were kind of, like, Tweedledum and Tweedledee, but yeah. M, M was, like, sort of clever and practical. And then I was literally, like... Up a ladder for three days. I was the brawn of this dynamic. <laughs> <laughs> um, and, yeah, also, I can't... I'm so shit visually, so I literally had to, like, get up a ladder and be told what to do. And I'd be like, I don't understand. And they'd be like, right, OK, at its simplest, all you've got to do, baby, is just hang this little bit of wire. And I'd be like, OK. <laughs> um, so it sort of happened like that. And yeah. through trial and error, like, we hung these sheets all along um m's bedroom ceiling that took kind of working i mean i if this was a more visual medium we'd show you the kind of where the paints come off the ceiling at <laughs> like bad um trials but um also lest we yeah. forget that at first we like didn't know how we were going to hang stuff mm. and r.i.p to the suction cups yeah that we tried to stick to the ceiling <laughs> yeah and then the whole the whole shape of it was furniture that we had in the flat that we that we made sort of vaguely mm. into the shape and lots of people's duvets yeah about yeah. a week before we posted on Meadows share and loads and loads of people just donated their duvets so me and Stel went on a couple crazy drives around Edinburgh just collecting all people's duvets that yeah it was just like layers and massively working out as we went mm. This is just like a curious question. The black sludge, how did you make that? Um, okay. Take it away. What is that? Wow. <laughs> Stel um, had this idea for treacle. And mm-hmm. um, I think one of my favourite things with Stella and Fred is being like asking them what they want to do and like hearing what like their ambition is and like creative mm-hmm. vision is. And then us working out like, right, okay, how do we do that? And um, this treacle idea, I then was like, okay, well, we can't really do treacle, but slime. So I looked up this YouTube video on how to make black slime. And it's like water, and then you add like laundry detergent and start cornstarch, corn and then loads of black dye. And it kind Ooh. of just creates this like self moving, sticky, viscous stuff um, that ended up being like all over the flat. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, and then it was just every day, it was just a crazy, while Stella and Tilly were rehearsing, we, one of us would be making this slime yeah. in the kitchen. <laughs> this question yeah. is um, for all of you, like sort of both a practical and an emotional question. I'm interested in what was the experience of making such a sort of big, all-consuming project in your home? And, you know, like this year, we've all got used to sort of working from home. But this was sort of a particularly personal and emotionally challenging piece. And I'm wondering sort of how you approached the making process with it sort of being in your home 
and also from that what will you sort of take away to your next project um and, and really creative projects you're always sort of all consumed by them but if if you if it was sort of happening elsewhere you'd be able to sort of leave it behind and I'm wondering sort of how that changed your relationship to the project if that question makes sense yeah no for sure I think I mean we've spoken a lot since about um I think as a three we work differently to any other times we've worked before um out it, kind of out of necessity mm-hmm. because it was in our flat and because uh we're in lockdown and because there isn't like yeah. this outside world and kind of distinct space we're making it. And I think part of it from in my perspective was that we had to be really frank with each other mm-hmm. when we were having a shit day, when something was too much, when we needed help. I think it took a minute to get in the groove to that because yeah. it's uncomfortable being like I'm yeah. struggling or this mm-hmm. is difficult or I'm panicked about this or whatever. But I think part of it at least was being really, really honest. And I actually like I feel like this is like doesn't directly answer the question but I'm really actually quite passionate about it now because like so when we were when we did um uh what are they called what camera tests did we do oh, like lighting, like, lighting oh, yeah, tests yeah yeah yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. So we did um, lighting tests and then on that, and so we hadn't even started filming and listening to it, Tilly say the script, I just like, it was just, it was kind of a bit triggering or just like yeah. too much emotion came yeah. up. And so from then on, it was like, well, you don't have to be in the room. So yeah. for the whole project, I wasn't in the room while she was performing. And yeah. I think it was like really kind of eye opening, and I hope for other people as well in terms of how they work that that could happen because I was like literally makeup artist and costume designer and so I had to keep coming back like in and out Mm. but it was and I think a lot of people or if I'd been working with other people I would have sucked it up and like maybe had panic attacks when I got home or cried in bathrooms but and I I think it's just a really uh it's been really enlightening to me anyway and made me angry about how other people work because Mm. I think that that level of care should be given to anyone working in a project. Yeah, definitely. But yeah, I think that's important to bring into future projects. Let's talk more broadly. This question is for Emily, um, because it relates to something you tweeted about recently, although I'm sure you've all got a perspective on it. You tweeted about, but this is before you made the project, about sort of feeling very aware of the pressure to sort of keep making and maybe the the pressure of not making during lockdown and sort of worries about being left behind by the industry. And I'm wondering if you could talk a little bit about that and how you navigate that feeling whilst also trying to sort of make work that you want to make. Yeah, I mean, uh, I mean, this time last year we had Ezra, we it was meant to be going to NSDF. Um, we had some London dates booked for a preview. I was meant to be programming at Bedlam Fringe and I just kind of felt like this great momentum had happened. I was really excited, but also like incredibly stressed. Like I feel like I had bitten off more than I can chew. Um, And so there was a moment in lockdown where I was almost relieved that stuff fell through because I was like, I mean, we would have found a way, we would have made it work, but I I don't think I was ready for what I was taking on. Um, Trying to like take this company like, that we had built through, like, basically a tour and a fringe. Um, And then over lockdown, I completely disengaged with theatre. Like, I... I mean, the same for Stelle. um, And, I mean, Fred, you're not a big theatre person anyway. But (laughs) I was slowly dragging her into the dark side. But, um, yeah, I mean, I watched no theatre over lockdown like all the stuff that was online there were so many like great opportunities and I took advantage of none of it 
um I just felt so unmotivated I didn't understand the point of it uh I just had I just literally couldn't care less um and then this project has been like really and also that was really scary I think because I was like this is what I want to do but apparently now I have no interest in it and you know I didn't want to go into geography and history which is what my degree's in I mean what jobs are available for that anyway um so I was just like kind of just a bit like what the fuck am I going to do um and then when we came back and still had this piece um and then I read it and I was like my god I love it and then when we were in the process of making stuff, we I would get this feeling like in my gut, which I think a lot of theatre people or like anyone that makes stuff, I think, yeah. you know, gets in a different way. But for me, it just feels like I just can't even describe it. It just feels so good. And I get so excited and so passionate. And I think that's what this project did. It like reminded me of like why I care. And I think yeah. that's a lot to do with like why you're making the piece and who's yeah. it for and what's it saying. And I think um, and having project, felt that and then gone through that was like all the excitement of working on the project, I'm interested us. in how um, how you felt about working digitally so yeah, because obviously that's like not so what you set out to me, do. Like, um, although a lot of us beginning to move that way, and I'm wondering, you know, will you work digitally in the whole, future? Really. Do you sort of learn anything through it that you want to use? Um, I'm sort of thinking, particularly, you know, you did um, the beautiful audio description at the beginning, and you were able to have captions, which I suppose is perhaps a little bit easier on video, although you know can be quite easily incorporated to live theatre as well so I'm wondering how do you feel about working digitally and what will you bring forward I was gonna say I mean when you were talking um, I was thinking about the fact of how the where we all came from with regards to feelings about theatre before the project which was like kind of apathy informed what we made massively because that we wanted to make something that was really short we wanted to make something that was kind of self-acknowledging of it being on screen we wanted to make something that didn't replicate like theatrical structures for the sake of it um I I mean just speaking for me that learning curve was like absolutely massive um I've never I don't think in a um kind of like work theatre related way been so out of my comfort zone um it was really uncomfortable uh and also kind of like massive and amazing I think um in terms of like bringing stuff forward I think actually like I mean we had a couple conversations about how actually we weren't that interested in in genre, in being like, this is, uh, I don't know, labelling it as some sort of, like, weird hybrid of, of theatre and film, because it was so, like, indivisible at points for me, like, what we were doing and what it was. Um, so I think in general, like, I actually have taken away that I don't care as much about form as I thought I did, or about, like, where something is taking place or about what what it kind of fits into, so much as just making something and asking, like, who, how the best way to reach who you're trying to reach is. Um, and like working from who you want to see a piece or who isn't seeing a piece or who should be seeing a piece backwards I think is something massively like taken from working digitally because the reach is different and like how you access people is really different and that's what's really fascinating and like the people we've we've kind of reached isn't like you know it's not like mad but it's like people who would never have watched our shows in a theatre saw stuff and that was really exciting so I feel excited about like that aspect also like I'm kind of now in the process of working out what we do with this next and it's Mm. never having had something so tangible to show people I think has been massive like also just in terms of us and our like mental health and Mm self-esteem I think having something tangible that we have like achieved um 
I mean, I think it's done like quite a lot for us in terms of just believing in ourselves that we can do this. Um, but yeah, I mean, I never thought about digital theatre or like something digital as something that we would naturally go into. But for a lot of reasons, it also does make sense. I think as long as you, like what Sal said, like acknowledge the form and don't just try to, you know, like film something flat. Um, I think that was a big point for us. And I think I've always been a bit confused about why there's such a divide between filmmakers and theatre makers, because actually it's it's so similar. I'm I'm quite glad that this time has sort of blurred those lines, and we can be interested in both ways of telling stories. On on that note about what you were saying about um what you'll go on to do, I'm wondering what's next for Definitely Fine. I mean, I know you're probably still still in the aftermath of this project. I'm wondering about Ezra. I know you had Fringe 2020 plans, but you know maybe that's sort of in the past. Yeah, what's what's any plans? Both of us look towards Ezra. <laughs> <laughs> um, so um. We will have plans. I think at the moment we're talking to um, Joanna Resnick from Slunglow about mm. potentially going to the hole back there and just locking the three of us away for a, a little bit of time and working out really what our, like, our priorities as a company. Um, you know, why we make theatre, who we want to make it for. Um, and just really kind of putting in, some, in place some like structures that work for us not necessarily are ones that are already out there like making our own path I think is really important um like what Fred said like with the way of working I think we're all people with like mental health um like issues depression anxiety and stuff and actually making a way that works for us I think would be a really useful time to stop and breathe and like reflect on the past couple of years um we hope this won't be the end of you'll see everything like it's a we I mean we think it's a great little film that we've now got and the work on it is done it's just about getting it somewhere else so I mean I'm too scared to say watch this space but we'll try <laughs> and I mean in terms of Ezra that might be a you style <laughs> yeah I think Ezra is um it's like a kind of like I don't know like a relative who you love maybe don't want to see anymore like she's done her time um, <laughs> and like I think I don't know more I think this project I mean, obviously, I'm excited about where we like can show it next. And it feels silly for it to have been a one night only thing, so I feel excited about mm. where it's going. But I also think um, the way that this project happened was so immediate and on such a short time scale. I have never been so aware how possible it is to make stuff, mm. and so that was really like to put it really empowering. Um, I especially kind of I think I was thinking earlier when you were speaking like film is a genre for me I have such heavy associations of it being gatekept by sort of like arseholy men who um, you had to like have a knowledge or like a background or something to even begin to think about doing it and this project I think kind of forced us to just make something and there was a time limit and there were consequences for not making it so we just made it and now I feel so excited about like the kind of capacity we have to do that and that's such an obvious stupid thing but yeah, it just makes me really excited to make more stuff and new stuff and, like, do better and, like, know more what we're doing and why we're doing it and, like, all of those conversations. That's exciting. I'm excited to see where you go. Um, let's move on to some questions I ask all of my guests. The first one is, can you tell me about an artist of sort of any genre um, that's made an impression on you and or your work? We were talking about this earlier. Mm. I, I mean, I don't know mm. what... I mean, I find it such a difficult question. Yeah. Um, not in the sense of... I think it's on me. It's like when someone asks you what your favourite anything is, I'm, I'm so useless. bad. 
know. And then when someone asked me, I'm like, well, I've never read anything, so don't ask me. It happened, like, it happened really badly on a Zoom uh, last year where we had to like go around and say our favourite playwright, and I couldn't think of a playwright. I was like, ah. and then I said a playwright who I've never read, and I was like, why did you, why did you do that? Um, so in my head, I'm going to hand over to Fred for this question, <laughs> who may or may not want to answer it, but had some really good artistic... About kind of um, favorite <laughs> art or artists that <laughs> influence the work, just because you had so many good uh, reference points. Yeah, I mean, number one, Louise Bourgeois. I'm obsessed with her, and I think the way that she, um, I mean, she literally only makes. I mean, I might be wrong, but to me, it seems like she only makes work about trauma, and I'm obsessed with that. <laughs> um, and also, like, I'd already basic kind of copied her um for a title of something i wrote and so i mean the thread and the red and the white obviously come from louise um and also i mean in terms of like in terms of set i wanted that feeling that you like you know louise bourgeois spiders when they're mm. so big but they're kind of like yeah. you're in and all but you're so um there's so much discomfort brought out and yes yeah. So I wanted to make a space that had that sort of feeling where it's like, I don't know whether I'm safe here or not, and I can't quite tell. Yeah. And um, and then I guess also from her, I strongly believe that uh, if you're talking about mothers, you're also talking about spiders. This um, is my favourite piece. This came up so much, and I've never think... I just think it's the most true thing that's ever been said. If it is about mothers, it is also about spiders. It will unlock a whole world of knowledge for you. It's mad. Um, so, so grateful. So that's where, like, the kind of webbiness and, like, the kind of... Uh, the ideas for the wall, like, reaching out, growing, laying eggs. Yeah. Like, it's a creature. It's like this motherly creature that's... You're disgusted by it, but it's reaching out And is alive, I think. Yeah. Mm. Um, so I guess all of that's from Louise. I, can't, I was trying to think, because we made this big references pack when making something. We referenced a oh, lot, like, also, FK Twigs. Was, well, yeah. Also, um, um, Michael Kelly Williams, who art directed Daughters of the Dust. I, that, that's got to be the, also another inspiration, because, like, I, I mean, that film is just stunning. And it's so, um, like, there's so many layers, like, the way he uses fabric. It's just, like, I'm obsessed with it. And then for costume more so matthew josephs who designed a lot or designed fk twigs's tour costumes um yeah i think that's the main that's a good summary i was trying to think about the writing and um i honestly think i'm so much more reliant on music than i am other plays which is maybe to do with like being lazy and not reading um (laughs) but i was trying to think so i was like ah there's must be some sort of artist that related to but I actually think if you if I looked back on the music I listened to when making stuff I think that would have been a really strong relationship between those two things PJ Harvey PJ Harvey massive Fiona Apple massive I think just like uh, in music the people who give you permission again to say anything or to go like um, to be completely unapologetically frank um, about stuff that you're typically told is shameful so again so like women who are singing about things that historically you shouldn't be singing about I think is all I listen to when writing stuff. And then my next question is, what impression would you like your work to make on the world? Whoa. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, there's got to be, there's got to be dimensions, haven't there? Like, I mean, I think what we, I mean, one of the conversations we kept having, um, or we've always had in terms of making stuff has been, uh, putting something on stage that is difficult to say in the hope that someone watching it feels less alone in having possibly the same feelings. 
Um, I think I still really, really strongly believe mm-hmm. that. Mm-hmm. And I still think that's a massive um, function of, of art generally. And it's so, I mean, I don't think there's a way to talk about it without sounding really wanky, but that, that capacity for someone to, to reach through something um, to a part of you you didn't think was sort of like sayable um, and making people feel less alone. I think that's, yeah, got to be a big part of it. But then there's kind of social consciousness, I guess, and, and world changing. Mm. I think, I don't know. <laughs> I feel like that's also to, to come. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like yeah. Yeah. No, I think there's a it's a weird relationship, isn't it, between being like sort of um having like philosophical or like kind of I- idealistic aspirations and then making your work with the hope that they do that rather mm. than presuming we're gonna change the world yeah. with our twenty minute mm. digital theatre. <laughs> which who knows, there's still time. <laughs> um But yeah, I think we were all like I mean we could I imagine we could talk a massive conversation yeah. about politics and stuff because that's come up a lot in the in the project but I think we're all quite like politically engaged I think it's thrown about but I think we all as people care a lot about lots of different things and I think everything we do from the set to the writing and I like to think it seeps into the producing as well it it, it feels like meaning based and like emotion led um yeah that does sound a bit wanky but I think it comes from a true place no i think that's a great answer my next question is can you tell me about an an artwork that you would like everyone to encounter maybe it would make the world a better place or help people understand something or maybe it's just a sort of something that people could universally engage in um and that's quite a big question but i remember seeing this question and being like gotta come back to this sure (laughs) (laughs) what piece i mean has anyone got any strong it feels hard to commit mm. to, to something that yeah. isn't deeply personal, isn't it? I'd say I just like pe- like if I think if everyone had listened to Transangelic Exodus by Ezra yeah. Thurman, yeah, that's true. I think people would a lot of the I don't know. We all went to see like Ezra Thurman. We went to see in Glasgow. In was it the the night of our get in for Ezra this time last year? Like we had the whole day in the yeah. theatre, and then we'd book these tickets and we like all just had to run to the train station have this night out the next day we'd be back in the theatre but it was just like 100% worth it I've just never felt so inspired yeah there is something ma- yeah do you know what let's go with Ezra oh, yeah. Thurman yeah, yeah. <laughs> thank you so much for your question <laughs> perfect <laughs> Before I do my final question, this is something I forget every time, is that I get my guests to name the episode. So you can get back to me if you want to. I did quite like the thing about spiders. Um, but yeah, you can have a little think. I think we should go with if it's about mothers, it's about spiders. If that's not, is that <laughs> really long? Catchy, catchy yeah. <laughs> that's fine. Um, and then my final question is just, um, do you have sort of recommendations for listeners of things you've been enjoying watching or reading or anything that you would share with the world rena sawayama's um her like making of the mm-hmm. self-titled album it's on youtube everyone should watch that's great <laughs> i literally it's happened again where i'm like what have i been doing and there's like a, i can't feel <laughs> what we've we been doing uh, you've been doing a huge project and a degree <laughs> after, after this we're gonna watch um Pigfoot, oh, yeah. the carbon neutral theatre company's hot in here. Uh, mm-hmm. Dance party. Yeah. I don't know. There's 
many words and what, in their title. Um, yeah, yeah. And I was just, while you're, we're like um, talking about other theatre companies, so excited about this theatre company called Ugly Bucket, if you don't know them. Oh, yeah. Just so excited to see what they do next. They're in, they do sort of clowning and they've got a show, I think, called Good Grief, but apologies yeah, if it's ju- wrong. Good Grief in July, it's showing with Unity. I literally booked my ticket today. Yeah, which is about grief and clowning and like they're just people that I'm so stoked to see. Mm what happens next it feels really exciting as well to be like I don't know following theatre companies with passion not just like waiting for the kind of national theatre to release its programme and then being like oh yeah theatre continues people they're people making some really cool stuff before we finish is there anything you sort of wish I'd asked you anything you um would like to add um listeners you can go and watch um you'll see everything on the National Student Drama Festival website the only thing that I was going to say is I don't I think it's in general like um, the mm. couple of times that we've spoken in, in forms about the show, it's interesting because <laughs> the production side, like producing, gets spoken about in in mm. massive kind of like creative fashion. I'm not like putting you, on, <laughs> putting you on the spot, but I just think it's worth being. So I don't know, like the way that M worked on the mm. project was like I think kind of like astounding and like I mean not astounding if you know M because it's what she does every time, but it's just like the capacity to integrate like empathy and creativity into every aspect of how the production works i just think that's like I think magic i wish you got asked more about that more often because i think it's as key as anything else that happens and also i think what makes it like really successful mm. but like it was it's having only worked with them as a producer it's mad when i hear about what other producers do and i'm like they only do public like publicity like <laughs> yeah. what <laughs> yeah but other than that has anyone got any qualms <laughs> Uh, we're all good yeah uh, big beats are the best <laughs> yeah to do that yeah. <laughs> I think that's us then yeah yeah so yeah let's let's do that Emily tell me about the process of producing <laughs> <laughs> um oh god I didn't yeah it it sounds lame but it's quite instinctive like I how I'm really passionate about theatre and about it sounds so lame, but facilitating that because mm. I think that's where I can offer something. Um, and I think it is, again, it's just like knowing Fred and Style um, and us, the three of us just working like very in- intuitively, is that the word? Yeah. Intuitively together. And like us also like all making allowances for each other to like, I'm dyslexic and Stel's my great little like proofreader of all my things. <laughs> I still, you know, get spelling mistakes and everything and just like knowing that that's okay and like we can come to each other with fuck ups and sorry, am I allowed to, I don't know, I'm allowed to say. Oh yeah, yeah. 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 yeah so, <laughs> going, to, going to each other with fuck ups and being like, that's okay, how do we fix it? Um, do you know what I think as well it is, is just from the outside, mm. it's so egoless. And like, I don't know, it's that thing when you work with people who aren't egoless and actually it's a really different looking process. And like, I think, sorry to have hijacked no. your conversation after I've been like, I need to, I need to talk more. <laughs> um, but for, again, like, I think what changed the project massively in terms of how it was produced was the capacity that you have um, at every stage to ask like, what the biggest, most ambitious picture looks like. Mm. And then... You, in some way whether it's scaled down or whether like the essence of something is taken or whether it's like a small aspect of it it then is facilitated I think it makes you as a create as like as someone else in the in the process work differently because stuff is possible I think I don't know like there's it's really easy to think of big ideas like for example the black um treacly stuff I initially presented to M as 
this is impossible, but here's a thought I've had, like, what else could we do? And Em was like, what if it's not impossible? And then it, just the capacity, you have to do that mm. constantly. With every, and everyone is coming to you, and everyone is coming to Em at the same time, and it's like, <laughs> so I don't know, like, seven people asking you questions. And it's just so um, generous, the way you work, I think. I'm sorry, just fangirl, but no, big fan. very kind. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Oh, that's lovely to hear. Well, thank you, Definitely Fine Theatre Company, for coming on my podcast. It's been lovely to chat to you about your work, and I wish you all the best for your future productions. <laughs> <laughs> thank you. Thank you, thank you, so you for much. having us.